This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Tonight, Orson Welles will use that marvelous voice to paint another word picture about the Black Museum. The program is, in fact, based upon a real museum. It was conceived in 1874 by Mr. Neum, a serving inspector, who at that time had collected together a number of items with the intention of giving police officers practical instructions on how to detect and prevent crime. Okay, so there's a little background that leads us to the radio program that starred Orson Welles. The Black Museum, a radio crime drama program produced by Harry Allen Towers in London, England. It was broadcast in Europe on Radio Luxembourg, a commercial radio station, and was not broadcast by the BBC until 1991. Orson Welles was both host and narrator for stories of horror and mystery, based on Scotland Yard's collection of murder weapons and various ordinary objects once associated with historical true crime cases. Walking through the museum, Wells would pause at one of the exhibits and his description of an artifact served as a device to lead into a wryly narrated, dramatized tale of a brutal murder or vicious crime. Tonight, we'll hear Orson describe a door key and its relevance to a real crime. This is Orson Welles, speaking from London. Here in the grim stone structure on the Thames, which houses Scotland Yard, is a warehouse full of souvenirs, where everyday objects a skipping rope, a glass, an iron, a stepladder. All are touched by murder. Now you take this key. This was on the floor beside the body, sir. A door key. The kind that fits only one lock. But whose? Perhaps the murderer, sir. Today, this key can be seen in the Black Museum. From the annals of the Criminal Investigation Department of the London Police, we bring you the dramatic stories of the crimes recorded by the objects in Scotland Yard's Gallery of Death, the Black Museum. In just a moment, you will hear the Black Museum Starring Orson Welles.
Now, the Black Museum, starring Orson Welles. Well, here we are in the Black Museum, Scotland Yard's Museum of Murder. Here lies death. Arranged neatly on the shelves and tables open to your view. Now here's a spoon. It's a simple household spoon. Our murderer was meticulous. With this he measured out a careful dose of poison. That oar up there on the wall. That was used by the stroke of a famous rowing aid at Henley. Later it was used in anger. Swung at a man who stood on the edge of a pier. Stunning him. The man drowned in the Thames very quickly. Ah, here we are. Here's the key. An ordinary key. The kind used to open most of the front doors in London. Once this key was in the pocket of a man who was waiting for another in his room at the Kingsley Arms Hotel in Surrey. Regan? Oh, I... I'm sorry. Excuse me, sir. I'll just turn the bed down. Uh, certainly. I'm waiting for Mr. Regan. You don't happen to know what time he'll be back, do you? No, sir, but if you wait here, you're sure to catch him. Thanks, I will. I particularly want to see him. The conversation lapsed. The visitor sat down again. The maid completed her work and left, stealing a glance at the young man as she closed the door behind her. Night fell. Lights came on in the guest bedrooms. But in one room, the number on the door was 22. A man sat alone in the darkness, waiting. The night passed, and morning came. In the hotel, there were beds to be made, rooms to tidy. No answer from room 22. The maid was pleased her work could be accomplished without interruption. She was thinking of this as she opened the door. Stepped in, the bed was unused, turned down just as she'd left it. Sunlight was flooding through the two windows, and on the floor, a man lay dead. The manager called the police. The police requested the assistance of Scotland Yard. And Inspector Sidney Russell and Detective Sergeant Hobbs were sent down to Surrey. This is the room, sir. Number 22. Has anyone been in there since the maid found the body? No one, Inspector, except myself and the local police sergeant. On his orders, I kept the room locked. Good, man. There you are. Thank you. I'll let you know when we need you, sir. The two detectives covered the room, and in their quick survey of the murder scene, they found several leads. His wallet, sir. Let's have a look at the identity card, Sergeant. There you are, sir. Hmm. Name's Thomas Regan. What else you got there, Sergeant? Uh, roll a note, sir. The killer either missed that or the motive wasn't robbery. Oh, I don't think it was robbery, sir. His watch is still on his wrist. Going? No, sir. It stopped at 7.25. That might have been the time the murder took place, though on the other hand, the watch might have run down this morning. He was shot through the head, sir. Surely somebody must have heard that. You would think so? Well, here's a shell I found on the carpet. Hmm. Point 22. We'll keep this for ballistics. What else, Sergeant? Oh, some silver taken from his trouser pocket, a 
handkerchief with the initials, initials T.R. in the corner and a cigarette lighter. With the initials T.R. Hmm. He's well labelled. And uh, this was on the floor beside the body, sir. The door key. The kind that fits only one lock. But whose? Perhaps the murderer, sir? Unless it belonged to Regan himself. Oh, it's not the kind they use in hotels. No. Was he wearing or carrying a keychain? No, sir. Then the key would have been carried in his pocket along with his money. Which hadn't been spilled onto the floor. You may be right, Sergeant. But to make absolutely sure, that key should be checked against every lock in Regan's home and his office and everywhere he might have occasion to visit. If it does not belong in any of those places, then it seems to me that when we find the door that key fits, we find the murderer. The detectives went downstairs to talk once more to the hotel manager. Inspector, this is a terrible business. Listen to those men in the bar. What about them, sir? They're newspaper reporters. Oh, this is really dreadful. The notoriety, the reporters, the headlines. It'll ruin my business. It wasn't very nice for Mr. Regan, either. No, I, I suppose not, poor devil. What can you tell us about him? Only that he was a commercial traveller. He stayed here before? Oh, several times. A traveller, eh? Did he work for any firm in particular, would you happen to know? Yes, I do know, because they always paid the hotel bills. He worked for a London firm, Hardy and Sons Limited. Thank you, sir. Now I'll leave the room upstairs locked until we have it photographed and checked for fingerprints. Oh, Inspector, there's one other thing I'd better mention. I think it's important. Yes? A man called to see Mr. Regan last night. Did you get a good look at him? I didn't see him at all, nor did the desk clerk. The maid found him waiting in room 22 when she came in to turn the bed down. Unusual, isn't it? Knowing Regan's room number? It suggests an acquaintance. Not necessarily, Inspector. Why do you say that? We have a register here in the foyer. It's on that wall over there. A room register? Yes, just a card opposite the room number. Some people don't bother with it, but Mr. Regan always put his card up. So that maid is the only one who saw this man? Yes, Inspector. Then I'd like to talk to her, sir. Oh, I'll go and get her for you. The hotel manager returned almost immediately with the maid. She was a young girl, very pale, her eyes still fearful from the sight she'd seen on the floor of room 22. Annie Mitchell, Inspector. How do you do, Annie? Uh, this is Inspector Russell from Scotland Yard. How do you do, sir? Annie, what time did you turn down the bed in room 22 last night? It was going on for six, sir. And I believe Mr. Regan was not in his room? No, sir, but there was a man there. Could you describe him to me? Well... He was tall, fairly young-looking, and dark hair. He spoke uh, educated-like. I see. What did he say? Just that he was waiting for Mr. Regan, and he particularly wanted to see him. Tell me, would you know this man if you saw him again? Yes, I think I would. The inspector was well satisfied, but Sergeant Hobbs, who had been questioning the guests not fared so well. Uh, now, sir, I'm sorry to trouble you, but I have to ask you a few questions. Uh, really, this is most annoying. I've been kept here all the morning and it's extremely inconvenient. I quite understand, sir. Now, uh, can you tell me whether you heard any unusual noise or disturbance during the night? The only disturbance of which I'm aware is the disturbance created by the police this morning. You uh, didn't hear a shot, for instance? Certainly not. And you were in your room the whole evening? Yes. Can I go now? Yes, that'll be all. Uh, thank you very much. Well, it's certainly not been a pleasure. It seems nobody heard a shot last night, sir. Nobody at all. Not a single guest, even those occupying adjoining rooms. That's funny. 
Anyway, I'm leaving you in charge here. The police right, surgeon will be arriving to carry out a post-mortem. All right, sir. Are you going back to London? Yes, I think the case winds up there. The next move is to London to check that key against every lock in Mr. Regan's home and his office just to see if it fits. I'm uh, really sorry to bother you, ma'am, but I'd like to go right over the house, if you don't mind, trying the locks, and uh, if there are any cases or cupboards, etc., that I might miss, I'd be very pleased if you'd point them out to me. I've uh, come along to see if you can help me, sir, in connection with Mr. Regan. I want to know if there's any desk or a cupboard in his office or the office door itself, which has a lock for which this might be the key. I believe you've uh, a lock-up garage here, formerly rented by Mr. Regan. It must, of course, have a lock, and I'd be glad if you'd allow me to compare the lock with this. No, sir. I've checked every conceivable place connected with Regan, and the answer's the same everywhere. The key does not belong. Mm. In that case, we have our answer. Somewhere, someplace, Sergeant, there is a door, and behind that door we'll find the murderer. You know, if I was a philosopher, I would say that it's rather symbolic that we have a key to which we must fit the lock. Still, I'm not a philosopher, I'm a detective, and it's our job, Sergeant to find the lock, to find the door, and to find the murderer. And that's just what we're going to do, Sergeant. We're going to find the door that this key fits. In time, they were to find the door. By patient, methodical methods, they came to the front door of a small flat. The key fitted. The same key that can be seen today in the Black Museum. In just a moment, we will continue with The Black Museum, starring Orson Welles. Continue with The Black Museum, starring Orson Welles. Inspector Russell went back to London, certain that the crime had motive, and that the motive would only be found by a search into the habits and associations of Thomas Regan. His first call was to the offices of Hardy and Sons, Limited, where he was speedily ushered into the presence of the reigning Mr. Hardy. 
Come in, Inspector. Sit down. Thank you, sir. Shocking business. Now, who could have wanted to kill poor Regan? That's what we're trying to find out. Of course. Shocking. One of our best travelers. What do you know of his personal life, Mr. Hardy? I may be able to help you there, Inspector. I believe in taking an interest in my employees. I've uh, always encouraged them to bring their troubles to me. And Regan had troubles? Yes. He was a bachelor. Rather a gay one at times. I suspect he, uh, he was having trouble over a woman. Yes? A married woman. She kept on ringing up to speak to him. And the thing spread in the office. He was rather embarrassed and slightly worried about it all. Do you happen to know the woman's name, Mr. Hardy? I'm afraid I can't help you there, Inspector. Though, uh, wait a minute. Yes? He did mention something. That's right. I've got it now. Uh, he didn't want to tell me her name. That's a pity. But in admitting she was married, he did tell me that her husband was a doctor on hospital duty. A doctor? Yes, and uh, one other thing I recollect. He mentioned her first name. It was Lindell. And I have information that the man we want to interview is young. That suggests a hospital intern. Yes, with a wife named Lindell. Hmm. Not very much to go on, Inspector. It might be quite a help. He never told you, I suppose, whether it was a London hospital or not? He never said so, but I'm quite sure it would be. At least the wife lives in London. What makes you think that? Well, the number of telephone calls that woman made to Regan. Nobody could afford that many trunk line calls. So they began in London, St. Bartholomew's Hospital. An intern or a young doctor whose wife's name is Lyndall. The registrars of the big hospitals consulted their records, made special inquiries. St. Thomas's, Westminster, Guy's. Each one of them returned to shake his head. There are several hundred hospitals in the London area. Big general hospitals, small private nursing homes, special hospitals, children's hospitals, maternity infectious orthopedic hospitals. At the first 42, they drew a blank. Then, at the London Royal Hospital at last. A young intern whose wife's name's Lindell. That's a funny one, Inspector. It's all the information we have, Doctor. It's useless to ask, I suppose, whether you might have this man on your staff. But we do have him. What? Well, at any rate, one of our interns has a wife named Lindell, Dr. Bowen. Dr. Felix Bowen. I'll send for him, shall I? No, wait, Doctor. Could you give me some idea what this Dr. Bowen looks like? Yes, I think so. He's... He's young, 31, I, I think, uh, quite tall, uh, dark hair. Would you have his address here in your records, Doctor? Certainly. I'll, I'll get it for you, Inspector. Thank you. And shall I send for Dr. Byrne? No, I don't want to see him just now, and I don't want it known that any queries have been made about him. Uh, very well, you can depend on me. Is he in some kind of trouble? Nothing to worry about just yet, sir. Now, if you'll get me that address... Patients had paid off the 43rd Hospital. Now, to interview Lindell Bowen. Inspector Russell went to the address he'd been given a small flat in a good residential district. The lock on the door fascinated him. The urge to try out the key in his pocket was almost overwhelming. But instead, he knocked. Mrs. Byrne? Yes? I'm Inspector Russell from Scotland Yard. Scotland Yard? May I come in? Yes, of course. Thank you. She was young, an attractive woman, but her eyes were frightened. Mrs. Byrne, when did you last see Thomas Regan? Regan? 
Tom, Thomas Regan? I think you know who I mean. But I don't, Inspector. I'm very sorry. Not at all, ma'am. Perhaps I'm mistaken. Well, of course, I've read about him in the papers. That is, if it's the same, Mr. Regan. It is the same. Mrs. Byrne, with your permission, I'd like to conduct a small experiment. Experiment? I, I don't understand, Inspector. It's quite simple. This key. Key? I'd like to try it in your front door. But I... Of course, if you choose to say no, then I won't be able to try it. You won't? But I, I also ought to warn you that I can return in a very short time with a warrant. All right. Try it. Thank you, Mrs. Byrne. I'll just open the door and insert the key. <gasps> the key turned effortlessly and easily. Hope died in the woman's eyes. The inspector from the yard took out the key and closed the door again. And now, Mrs. Byrne, you and I are going to have a talk about Thomas Regan. That afternoon, several significant events took place. A gun was found beneath a pile of medical books. It was taken to Scotland Yard to the ballistics expert there. The gun checks up. That's the murder weapon right enough. Little wonder nobody heard the shot in the hotel. It's fitted with a silencer. A silencer. Evidence of premeditation. Late that afternoon, the record of its purchase was uncovered. The second significant event. The gun was bought at a shop in the Soho district, sir. A second-hand shop two weeks ago. By whom, Sergeant? The description covers Dr. Felix Bowen. And the proprietor says he could recognize the man if he saw him again. We'll give him that chance. Come on. Where to, sir? The hospital. To pick up Bowen. The third event was Bowen's flight across London. Somehow, in some way, the doctor learned of the net that was closing about him and made a run for it. He was gone when the detectives reached the London Royal Hospital. They drove to his home, but he wasn't there. Across England, the vast network of police communications went into action. The teletype carried the news of the fugitive. Central to all stations. General alarm for one Dr. Felix Byrne, aged about 31, six feet tall, dark hair. Educated voice, quietly spoken, wanted on suspicion of murder. The search was on. In a thousand stations, vigilant eyes searched for Bowen. On the streets, on trains and buses, in restaurants and hotels. Within 24 hours, he was picked up. I, I really must insist. This is a terrible mistake. I really don't know what, what this is about. And uh, no, I'm sure you've got nothing to worry about, sir. Uh, just answer a few questions, that's all. Well, of course, I'm perfectly prepared to cooperate with the law. But I must insist on an explanation at once. Yes, yes, of course, sir. You see, unfortunately, your appearance coincides with the description of a man wanted by the police. It's oh? uh, just a routine matter, sir. Uh, if you'll give me some proof of your identity, we can clear the matter up in a few minutes. But I explained to the constable. It, it's no longer compulsory to carry an identity card. Yes, I know that, sir. But before we release you, we must have proof of your identity. Yes, but how can I... Uh, you see, sir, we must be sure you're not the wanted man. But I told you already. Uh, now, Mr. Bowen. Yes? Yes, Dr. Bowen. Uh, 
Inspector Russell? This is Sergeant Thompson, sir. Hyatt. We've picked up a man who we believe is Dr. Felix Bowen. Hold him, Thompson. I'll be there in a matter of minutes. It was Bowen right enough. But if Inspector Russell hoped for an easy confession, he was disappointed. The doctor was defiant and tight-lipped. I know nothing, I tell you. Nothing whatever. This whole thing is an outrage. I must remind you, sir, that your wife has made certain admissions. My wife? What has she told you? That she and Regan were having a love affair. That you found out. And the day before last, you went down to Surrey to see Regan. You returned late that night. Did I? And under a pile of medical books in your bookcase, we found the gun you used. The game's up, Bowen. The game is never up, Inspector. Until it's lost. The evidence they had accumulated was impressive. But juries are cautious, and defense counsels are often very smart. There had to be no loopholes. There had to be complete corroborating evidence. I think we've got our man all right. The next thing is to prove it beyond all shadow of doubt. What's the uh, next move then, sir? Well, Sergeant, there's one person who got more than a passing glimpse of the murderer. Oh, you mean Annie, the maid at the hotel. Right. We'll see how Mr. Byrne fares on an identification parade. I have a feeling he won't fare too well. Now, Annie, I expect you've heard of an identification parade. Yes, sir. Like they have on the films. That's right, Annie, but this is not a film. This is the real thing. Before we go into the next room, I want to impress on you how important it is that you make no mistake. A man's life may depend on your judgment. So when you answer me, make sure, absolutely sure, beyond any shadow of doubt, the man you identify is the man you saw on the night of the murder. Yes, sir. Right, then. Now, in the next room, there are eight men. I want you to follow me into the room, take a good look at each of them, and see if you can pick out from amongst them the man you saw in room 22 waiting for Mr. Regan. Very well, sir. It's not the first gentleman. Nor the second. But this is the man, sir. That's a lie. Yes, and that's his voice. I'd know it anywhere. This is the man, Inspector. Well, Mr. Byrne, would you like to make a statement to us now? I have nothing to say, except that I doubt that the evidence of a silly maid is likely to give you conviction, Inspector, whatever you may think. We're depending on more than that, Mr. Byrne. There are other witnesses, including a silent witness, a door key. That was careless of you, Mr. Byrne. Very careless indeed. Bourne was identified also by the owner of the second-hand shop as being the man who had bought the gun some two weeks before. With that, the case was complete. A door key had helped to find a murderer. And that self-same key can be seen today in the Black Museum. Orson Welles will be back with you in just a moment.
Now here in person is Orson Welles. Bowen killed the man who had stolen the affections of his wife. His was not a clever crime. It was premeditated, without a doubt, but clumsily conceived. For the young doctor was no student of the art of murder. Yet he might have escaped justice had not a key fallen from his pocket. A key which ultimately brought the police to his front door. And now, until we meet next time in the same place, and I tell you another story about the Black Museum, I remain, as always, obediently yours. The Black Museum, starring Austin Wells, is presented by arrangement with Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer Radio Attractions. The program is written by Creswick Jenkinson with music composed and conducted by Sidney Torch. Produced by Harry Allen Towers. Stay tuned for A Day in the Life of Dennis Day, next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for a visit from that perpetual 19-year-old Dennis Day as we hear the story of Mildred's boyfriend. Palmolive Soap and Colgate Dental Cream. Palmolive Soap, your beauty hope, and Colgate Dental Cream to clean your breath while you clean your teeth. <laughs> the Dennis Day Show with Barbara Eiler, B. Benadera, Dink Trout, George Dooning in the orchestra, and yours truly, Vern Smith, is written by Frank Galen and stars our popular young singer in A Day in the Life of Dennis Day. Here's Dennis to sing the new hit from the score, Pale Face, Buttons and Bows. East is east and west is west, and the wrong one I have chose. Let's go where you keep on wearing those frills and flowers and buttons and bows, rings and things and buttons and bows. Don't bury me in this prairie, take me where the cement grows. Let's move down to some big town where the love a gal by the cut of her clothes. And you'll stand out in buttons and bows. I love you in buckskin or skirts that you homespun. But I love you longer, stronger, where your friends don't tote a gun. My bones are now a buckboard bounce, and the cactus hurts my toes. Let's bamboos where gals keep using those silks and satins and linen that shows. You're all mine in buttons and bows.
Well, there's nothing more thrilling to a red-blooded man on a crisp October morning than to be crouched beside a lovely lake with his trusty gun and a flock of ducks circling overhead. Which is why Mr. Anderson asked permission of his wife yesterday to do just that. And so today we find him beside a body of water. He's at the kitchen sink with his trusty washcloth and a flock of dirty dishes. His retriever is our young hero, Dennis Day, who takes charge of each plate as it leaves the suds. Gee whiz, Mr. Anderson, why don't you ask Mrs. Anderson to get an electric dishwasher? It's no use, my boy. She prefers me. I don't have to be plugged in. Yeah, I guess so. Well, we're nearly finished anyway. Oh, where does this platter go? On the shelf in the back of the saucers there. Only be careful, that's Poopsie's favorite platter. Okay. You know what happened the last time you put one of her Queen Victoria plates away? Yeah, it slipped out of my hand and abdicated all over the place. I know. Well, I'll be careful. This. Hey, look. Hmm? There's a letter here up on the shelf. A letter? That's funny. Yeah, and it's in Mildred's handwriting. Holy smoke, it starts out, My darling of the burning lips. Oh, it's for you. Well, don't be silly. She knows me better than that. But Mildred couldn't possibly be writing a love letter to anyone else. Really? Gee, I'm a little worried. Oh, nonsense. Read some more. Okay. When you put your strong arms around me, my love, I know I'm being held by a man. By gosh, it is to another fella. Oh, this is awful. My Mildred, what'll I do? What'll now, I do? Now, now, Dennis, don't get excited. My gracious, maybe it's just a mistake. Some mistake. She'd had another fella on her mind all the time she's been with me. I'm going to take back my fraternity pin and give her back the pawn ticket for a sorority pin. But, Dennis, you're the one she loves, I'm sure. For the moment, some other fella's turned her head, that's all. Yeah, and I wind up with the back of her neck. <laughs> Believe me, I'm going to tell that girl plenty. That's the worst attitude you could possibly have. Now, if you want to win her back and you're smart, you listen to me. Could you really help me, Mr. Anderson? Certainly. Now, I'll give you a little tip. You can catch more flies with honey than you can with vinegar. Get it? You mean she'll love me again if she, if she sees I can catch a lot of flies? No. But the trouble is, you've never really courted her, Dennis. A woman doesn't like to be taken for granted. Now, suppose you started playing the cavalier, did little things for her, and showered her with attention. Gee, I see what you mean. Sure. Gallantry. But women eat it up. They think they're delicate creatures, and they'd rather have a man flatter them with little courtesies than anything... Uh, there she is now. For goodness sake, remember what I told you. Yeah, okay. I'll sneak out the other door so you can be alone. Good luck. Oh, here you are. Hi, Dennis. Hello, fragile little thing. Huh? How tired you must be, my darling. You've been up for over two hours. Here, sit down in this chair before you poo out completely. Dennis, what are you talking about? Oh, just trying to do little things for you, my love. Shall I fetch your slippers so you can sit in front of the fireplace and smoke your pipe? My pipe? You know I never smoked a pipe. Well, I'll give you one for Christmas. Dennis, you must be mad. And if you think I'm going to stand here and... Wait, where are you going with that bottle of ink? If you must know, I'm working on a letter, and I just came in here to fill my fountain pen. Oh, but I can't let you do that. You might get ink on those lovely, dainty little hands. Here, let me... Dennis, I'm not an invalid. I... I couldn't bear the thought of ink on those lovely, dainty little hands. Now, if you'll give me the bottle and pen, I'll Dennis, just... Dennis, go... let go. I'll do it myself. Oh, no. oh, no. Oh, my. All over your lovely, dainty little face. <laughs> oh, oh, I could kill you. I was just trying to be a cavalier, and now you hate me. Oh, I don't hate you. Yes, you do. It's written all over your face. 
sick all over me. Oh, golly, I'm a mess. Well, I'll run get a towel. I'll be right back. Oh, dear. What's all the excitement? At... Good heavens, what happened to you? Oh, it was just an accident, Mother. Golly, everything is going wrong today. First, I can't find the letter I wrote for the Passion Story Magazine Love Letter Contest, and now this. Well, don't bother me with it. I have enough troubles of my own. Well, now what's wrong? Oh, that woman who just moved in next door. She gives me a pain. Standing there in her backyard yelling that our incinerator is filling her yard with black smoke. The nerve of her making up such a fantastic lie. Oh, our new neighbor? What does she look like? I don't know. I couldn't see her through the smoke. (laughs) You really ought to have that incinerator fixed, Mother. Everyone's complaining. I wouldn't dream of it. I have only a few pleasures left in this world. <laughs> Why should I deny myself fighting with the neighbors? <laughs> All right, Mother. I'd like to help it between losing that love letter for the contest and Dennis. Dennis? What's the matter with him? Oh, I wish I knew. He's acting so unusual today. I was talking to him just now and he didn't make a bit of sense. Well, come on, get to the unusual part. <laughs> Well, he he kept wanting to do things for me. Buy me presents, things like that. Really? Hmm. When a man acts that way, it always means one thing. There's been another woman. Oh, oh, good golly, it does? Yes. Now, I wonder what it'd mean in Dennis's case. And all that happened was she got covered with ink? Yeah, some cavalier I am. Oh, dear. Now she's probably more in love than ever with that fellow with the burning lips. Well, let her. Let her get her lipstick melted clear off for all I care. Now, now, you know you want her back. And maybe if you could make her jealous or something. Gee, you think that might work? Well, it's done wonders in some cases. Let's see now. Is there some other woman that you, you've been friendly with, uh, one you've kissed, maybe? Sure, but I can't see Mildred getting jealous of my mother. No, no. Say, say, wait. How about Miss Baker, that old spinster around the corner who's got such a crush on you? Oh, my gosh, I'm scared to go near her. Don't be silly. As far as she's concerned, you're just a passing fancy. Well, she sure makes some fancy passes. (laughs) She's about your only chance, my boy. Do you really think Mildred would come back to me if she saw me with Miss Baker? Definitely. Just let her find you on the couch with her here tonight. I know women like a book. Well, I'll try it, but this is one chapter I wish you'd skipped. Yes? Why, Dennis Day! Hello, Miss Baker. Oh! Oh, you great big wonderful bundle of stuff! my house all alone, and I hope so. (laughs) Miss Baker, Miss Baker, I love you. You what? I love you. I love you. I tell you, my heart just leaps at the sight of your beautiful face. Uh, Oh, you darling. Now say it with your eyes open. (laughs) I mean it. May I come in and sit a while, Miss Baker? And may I call you Ruth? Oh, if you come in and sit a while, you can call me John L. Lewis. <laughs> oh, 
Come in, come right in. And sit down, sit down anywhere and make a laugh. Oh, thank you. Oh, oh, did you mean it? What you said? I mean about being in love with me, did you? Huh? Did you? Did you? Did you? I'm wild about you. Can't live without you. Those lovely waves, that glorious golden color. Goodness, I didn't even know I was wearing that one tonight. <laughs> but, but what about your girlfriend, that uh, little Mildred Anderson? She's in love with another fella. Oh? And I'm trying to get her back. Oh. <laughs> so that's it. You're trying to make her jealous. Well, uh, yes, ma'am. Oh, but Dennis, don't you see Mildred couldn't possibly believe there was a romance between us? After all, the difference in our ages alone. <laughs> Why, I must be older than you by weeks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, thousands of them, I guess. <laughs> well, yes. Now, maybe I can help you after all. A cousin of mine just returned home from school. Oh, she's an awfully sweet girl, and I know she'd do anything I ask. Oh, gosh, Miss Baker. Could you have her over at the Anderson's about nine? Well, just for you. <laughs> oh, because you're so cute. And it might be the basis for a little blackmail someday. Gee, Miss Baker, you're wonderful. Someday Mildred and I will get married and settle down with our chickens and our dogs, and in a month or two there'll be a baby, and we'll name it after you. <laughs> Dennis, I doubt if you'll have a baby in a month or two. And then we'll name one of the dogs after you. Good night. We'll continue our day in the life of Dennis Day in a moment or two. Meanwhile, here's Dennis to sing Confess. found a very torrid love letter in Mildred's handwriting hidden away in a dictionary, he leaped to the conclusion that she had another boyfriend. The letter was merely a prize entry in a magazine love letter contest, but Dennis, unaware of that, has launched a campaign to make Mildred jealous by arranging a rendezvous with Miss Baker's cousin, a young lady he's never met. 
Do you honestly think this will make Mildred come back to me, Mr. Anderson? Oh, we can't miss Dennis. Only remember, when Mildred walks in, you and this girl have to be in a really torrid embrace. Oh, don't worry. I'll go all the way. I'll be holding both her hands. <laughs> Dennis, uh, maybe we'd better get a few things straightened out. Huh? Have you actually ever necked with a girl? Well, no, but I came awfully close once. I was in a restaurant and the girl at the next table started playing footsie with me. Consider that close to necking, huh? Oh, you haven't heard the half of it. She was wearing open-toed shoes. (laughs) Well, you may have to step up the pace a little bit tonight. Oh, I will. I will. Don't worry. Good. Now, I'll go in and see if I can think of some way to get Poopsie out of the house so Mildred will find you alone with this girl. Yeah, swell, Mr. Anson. Is that you, Herbert? Uh, yes, flame of my desire. <laughs> you know something? I've been thinking. Thinking? Yeah. Uh, let's be devils tonight, huh, Poopsie? Uh, let's take a walk through Weaver Park like we used to when we were courting. Why, Herbert, that's a wonderful idea. Yes. I thought maybe we could meander down to the south end and see that big oak tree. Remember, the one we cut our initials in. Oh, how could I forget it? Yes. I was just a young girl at the time, wasn't I? Yes. I wonder if our initials are still there. Well, we could take along a stepladder and find out. Uh, here, while I'm putting on my coat, take this trash out and burn it. Uh, Poopsie, uh, do you think we should? You, you, you know that new neighbor's been complaining about our incinerator. I said take it out and burn it. But, Poopsie, this type of trash, are, are you deliberately trying to get even with her? Nonsense. It's just ordinary refuse. Now take it out and make sure the hot water bottle and that old inner tube are on top. <laughs> Theodore, do you smell that? Hmm? Can't you smell it? It's that Mrs. Anderson's incinerator again. Oh. (laughs) Well, I thought maybe your brother opened the door of the room he keeps his pigeons in. (laughs) Don't be funny. Oh, just look at the smoke pouring into this room. Yeah. Well, first thing, tomorrow morning I'll go over and and see... Tomorrow morning, my foot... You go over there this minute and give them a good piece of your mind. Now? Oh, honey, it's after nine. I don't care what time it is. I've stood all I'm going to. If you won't go over there, I will. Right now. Gee, three minutes after nine. She should be here any minute. Well, I've sure got this room looking like a love nest, all right. Mildred can't help but think we've been drinking with all those empty Coke bottles and used tea bags lying around. Gosh, I wish that girl would... Uh, at last. Good evening. Oh, how do you do? And won't you come in? I've been expecting you. I shouldn't wonder. I'm Mrs. Schroeder. Mrs. Schroeder? I... My gosh, does your husband know you're doing this? Certainly. He very nearly came here instead of me. Well, I'm glad you did. It would have looked a little silly with him. What? Well, I mean, I think a man and a woman is the ideal combination for a thing like this. I did not come here to waste time. 
I want something done, and immediately. Do you understand? Oh, gosh, don't rush me. Let's get acquainted first. <laughs> Here, sit down, won't you? Thank you. I prefer to stand. But isn't it usually done sitting down? <laughs> well, why should it be? Well, I guess you've been around more than I have. Young man, are you sure you know what I'm here for? Oh, sure. Don't worry. Don't worry. Do you think I want to be choked to death? Oh, I'll get a very loose grip. What on earth are you talking about? Huh? Why, this act we're putting on, of course. Act? You call smelling up the whole place an act? Lady, if you don't know my technique, don't wrap it. Well, you just listen to me. If I don't get some action, I'll have my husband come over here and tear out your incinerator bodily. Tear out my what? <laughs> you know very well what? That vile, smoky incinerator in your yard. Incinerator? Wait a minute. Aren't you Miss Baker's cousin? Who? I am Mrs. Schroeder from next door. Oh, my gosh, I thought... Holy smoke, have I made a series of nasty blunders. What? Look, Mrs. Schroeder, you've got to help me. I've got to help you. Yeah, you see, i got a girl and i got to make her jump. Oh, my gosh. Oh, hello. I didn't know we had company, Dennis. I am not company, young lady. I came over here to... Oh, it's no use, Marigold. She's caught us. We might as well face it. She knows all now. Huh? Oh, <laughs> It's a good thing you didn't arrive a few minutes earlier, Mildred. Marigold and I were on the sofa. We were necking and petting and squeezing and doing all enjoyable stuff like that there. What? Now, see here. I was merely complaining about the smoke. Can I help it if I'm a hot necker? <laughs> oh, Janet. Uh, look here, young lady. I came over here to complain about your smelly incinerator. But just forget it. From now on, burn anything you want. Only keep him on your side of the fence. Ah, <laughs> uh, poor foolish girl. Where will she go? What will she do now that she's tasted the rich, tender ripeness of my cherry lips? What can she say to her husband now except, eh? Oh, stop it. That's the woman from next door to complain about the incinerator and you know it. it didn't do so good, huh? Well, okay. If you must know, I was trying to make you jealous. Jealous? Me? But why? Well, I figured then maybe you'd forget about the fellow who you wrote the letter to. You know, the guy with the molten lips. Oh, oh, Dennis, you big goof. That was a letter I was entering in a contest. In a contest? Of course. The only person I know with molten lips is you. Oh, my gosh, that's wonderful. Mildred, I'm so happy I... Well, would you? I mean, would it be all right if I turned on my volcano now? <laughs> of course, Dennis. Oh, gosh. I wish you had a... I wish you had a third hand so I could kiss that, too. Oh, Dennis. Do you know something? If there really were another girl in your life, I'd never speak to you again as long as you live. Oh, you don't have to worry about that. You're the only girl I ever looked at. Gosh, I wouldn't think... Oh, I'll go get it. Yes? Lover boy, my angel, kiss me. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.
Look, this isn't necessary, girl. Just tell me who you want me to vote for, and I'll... It's you. So there's never been a girl in your life. Uh, We've never seen each other before this moment, have we, miss? Why, Dennis, darling. Dennis, darling, huh? See, it's obvious she doesn't know me. My name is Dennis Day. (laughs) Come here, love bundle. Wait, let go. Mildred, I swear if she ever takes her mouth away from mine, you'll hear a perfectly reasonable explanation. Dennis Day, don't you ever talk to me again. George Dooning and the orchestra here now is Dennis to sing the beloved old Irish air, Galway Bay. If you ever go across the sea to Ireland, then maybe at the closing of your day, you will sit and watch the moon rise over Clother. From Ireland are perfumed by the heather as they blow, and the women in the uplands digging pretty speak a language that the strangers do not know. For the strangers came and tried to teach us their way. They scorned us just for being what we are. But they might as well go chasing after moonbeams or light a penny candle. And somehow I'm sure there's going to be I will ask my God to let me The United Nations today is the greatest influence in the world for peace and understanding among nations. It is the common denominator among all nations and all political creeds. The United Nations requires the wholehearted support of every decent man and woman in the world. Good night, everybody. Next week, tuning to another Dennis Day show, brought to you by Palmolive Soap, Your Beauty Hope, and Colgate Dental Cream to clean your breath while you clean your teeth. For 
with a true romance in Dennis Day's own life, there's a special treat in store for you in True Romance magazine, now on sale at all newsstands. Listen again next week to Colgate's Hour of Fun, Judy Canova, followed by Dennis Day. And for another great comedy program, hear Blondie next Wednesday evening over your favorite NBC station. This is Vern Smith speaking. Good night. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's The Six Shooter, starring James Stewart, followed by Abbott and Costello. Thanks to Paul Stringer and Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.